0: The Mac Observers Mac Geek Cab, episode 845 for Monday, November 23rd, 2020. (music) Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observers Mac Geek Cab, the show where you send in your tips, your cool stuff found, your questions. We share your tips and your cool stuff found. We answer your questions. Sometimes we bring questions and even tips and cool stuff found of our own. The goal is, when we get the Mac Geek Gap family together here, that each of us learns at least five new things every single time we get together. Sponsors for this episode include headspace.com slash mgg. Amazon.com slash MGG, where you can save 20% on your smart lighting bundle and plushcare.com slash MGG. We'll talk more in detail about each of those shortly here. But for now, here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And
1: here in Trifold,
0: Connecticut, this is John F. Braun. How are you doing today, Mr. John F. Braun? Yeah. Yeah, you know. Pandemicking like a pro.
1: Yeah,
0: pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah, that's it. Uh, so we have uh, we've got some quick tips to go through. We have some cool stuff found to go through, and uh, and some tips from you. And I also was very fortunate in that my MacBook Air arrived on Tuesday the seventeenth, even though it wasn't supposed to arrive until the twenty fourth because I did the build to order, uh, sixteen gigs of RAM and five twelve on the SSD. So uh so we'll talk about that today too, and I can share kind of my first week's impressions with that. And um uh spoiler alert, the thing's friggin' amazing. But but there's some you've read the reviews, there's some things to some things I have to add. So, because you know, we do it the, we do it the Mac Geek Cowboy here. Um first though, let's go through some some quick tips, shall we, John? Indeed. Cool. Uh, Let's start with Koji. I think this is a quick tip reprise, but uh, Koji says, I found something pretty cool. Normally, when you press the volume up or down key, it adjusts the volume one full step. This is on your Mac, right? Uh, However, if you press shift option volume up or down, the volume will adjust in quarter step increments. I'm not sure if this is new to Big Sur, but I was excited to find something interesting enough to pass along. You, are, Yeah, it is not new to Big Sur. In fact, I I don't know how long it's been there, but it's been a while. Uh, this says bonus tip. Pressing shift volume up, so not just shift option volume up, but pressing shift volume up or down uh, gives you an audible tone that gets louder or softer to give you an indication of the volume level of your Mac. I feel like in past OSs, it used to do this uh, when only pressing the volume up or down buttons. I guess users thought that was annoying. Yeah, that did change somewhere along the line. I'm not sure exactly when, but it did. That did change. Yeah, so cool. Thank you, Koji. Good tips. I, th- these are the, I love quick tips for exactly these reasons because it's the things that you know when you know to do them when they become muscle memory. Well, then you know you stop thinking about doing them, and then suddenly somebody looks over your shoulder and says. What is that? How did you? What what incantation did you do to get this magic to happen? That's a quick tip. Usually, we have some quick tips that aren't that though. Did you know what you know about the volume things, John? I knew it was possible. I don't. Yeah. I didn't know what the key commands were. I would have had to fumble around for them because I don't use it often. But yeah, anything to add before yeah. we move on? No. All right, then we will go to Keith, who says, uh, "Here's a quick ish." Uh, tip For Big Sur users, in previous versions of macOS, it was possible to turn off transparency of the menu bar, but that has now been removed. In Big Sur, if you have a dark color wallpaper, the menu bar is white text on a dark background, which I think looks horrible to him. Uh, he says, I, I know not everyone will agree with me, but reading around, this seems to be a fairly common complaint. It's possible to go into System Preferences Accessibility Display and tick reduce transparency, but that affects things other than just the menu bar. To get around this, I've loaded my wallpaper into my favorite image editor uses Photoshop, but you could use Pixelmator or whatever you like and clicked image canvas size. I selected the anchor position as the bottom center and increased the canvas height by 44 pixels, making sure to select white as the canvas extension color and then save the image. What this does is add a white line along the top of the image, the same height as the menu bar. So 44 pixels is the key there. After that, you just need to change desktop background the normal way to this new image. And bingo, you get a white menu bar back as per the uh, attached pictures. And sure enough, that's uh, exactly what happened. Um, is after that, you just need to change. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I already read that part. <laughs> so, yeah, that's pretty smart. So just going into whatever image editor you like, saying it uh, change the image size. And like, like he said, anchor it to the bottom. Normally your image editor will anchor, you know, itself to the center usually and, and add whatever you're telling it to add, you know, on, uh, on all sides. Or in this case, if you're just changing the height, it would add it both on the top and the bottom. You want to center it to the bottom. That way it's only adding to the top and boom, there you go. You got what you need and make sure to set that it's white. Or if it's not, then you could flood fill it with white. After the fact. I like that tip. It's good. You're right. Quick-ish, but a good tip nonetheless. So pretty good. How are you liking the look of Big Sur so far, John?
1: Uh, I'm almost there. <clears throat> almost there. Okay. <laughs> All right. Got it. No, I, I did realize- um last night I did a, a a backup and then downloaded the I guess it it it's uh one. No, correct. That's that
0: was so the first download. release version of Big Sur was eleven oh one. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah they had ready to roll. They had gotten the betas up to eleven oh one. I, I, I wasn't going to say. Ironically, that's the wrong word. Interestingly, my MacBook Air, uh, my M one MacBook Air arrived with eleven point on it, uh, and then mm-hmm. I then I did an update, which I'll talk about because there's some things about that. Actually, in fact, I'll I'll, I'll share this now. There is an issue uh with Big Sur if you wipe the the with with the M1 Max and, and Big Sur cuz they only run Big Sur but it, an issue with the M1 Max where if you go in and essentially go into restore mode which is different now but if you go in and wipe the thing you may have trouble reinstalling a fresh copy if you have wiped the drive uh, and and some people have had that brick their brand new machines when they do that. You know, some people just as a matter of course say, "Oh, I want to go in and and you know wipe out whatever Apple put on here, and I just want to you know start myself from scratch." Uh, and and there's a variety of reasons you might want to do that. And I found myself in a position where I might want to do that. Uh, but thankfully, I had to do a little research online to figure out how to do that. And in doing that research, I found uh, Mac forums a Mac rumors forum thread with plenty of people saying that they had run into this issue. Their Mac was bricked and they called Apple support and Apple support told them I've had 75 other people call with this problem. So, uh, I avoided that path and just added a new volume. So, uh, so that's one tip is be careful of this until there's a software update for Big Sur that, that will address this. So, uh, what I did is in order to get into recovery mode or really any of the boot modes on the M one max, it's great because you don't have to remember 16 different incantations with your fingers anymore. You have to remember exactly mm-hmm. one, and then you can bring yourself to an options menu, which will let you do all of the things that you want to do. And then you get to that options menu by simply holding down the power button. It will turn on and it will say, continue holding down the power button To get the options menu at that point, you could Mm -hmm. release the power button and it boots normally or you can keep it down and then you get the options menu, which includes the boot menu and also a way to get to recovery mode. And it's all right there on the screen for you. And it's very, very simple as it should be. And it's not Apple having to hack around an Intel BIOS because it's not Intel BIOS. It's Apple's and they get to decide how this stuff works. So so that part was good. Um, Yeah, I, I set mine up with i first just started it up as apple sent it to me and then my plan was you know to use that for a day or two then wipe it and do a migration assistant from my old air and i decided not to wipe it i just added a new volume because it's apfs and so they both are there i have a dual boot of the one that apple set up and then my migration which is great so anyway beware that until at least 1102 i think i don't know but you know Go. Question?
1: Now, just to clarify what you said before, so you ha- it comes with Big Sur. Correct. But you but you, you have to run Big Sur or later on this machine. Is that correct? Or oh, could absolutely. You install Catalina if you wanted to.
0: No, no, no. Catalina... Yeah, okay. I mean, it's like yeah, any other Mac, right? It, it only runs the, op- the... The oldest operating system it runs is the one that it came with. Now, that's always mm-hmm. been the case with Macs. You, I mean, always, usually uh with these like catalina isn't compiled for for for, for, for apple silicon so like it definitely wouldn't mm-hmm. like there's not even a way to hack it onto there so yeah yeah so you need big sur with the m1s which makes sense
1: okay I mean, they could make Catalina work on an M, but, you know, why waste the time on that?
0: Exactly. Right. Yes, of course they could. And I'm sure at some point during the development process, they did. Right. I mean, it would stand to reason. But but yeah. Yeah. Big Sur is the only one we get. So, yeah. Yeah. So TLDR, beware if you have a M1 Mac uh, of of going into recovery mode and wiping the drive to start from scratch, you may find yourself in a pickle. Mm -hmm. So just wait. All right. Yep. All right. Back to quick tips for a minute. Uh, Patrick brings this one. He says about two years ago, I sent you a tip on how to use shortcuts with Google assistant. Well, two years have passed and both Apple and Google have made this even easier and better. You need to have the Google assistant app installed on your phone which is different than the Google home app. You can now create a shortcut to execute any command in Google assistant. Why do this? Because most smart devices, eg sockets, switches, bulbs, etc., are not HomeKit compatible. Therefore they don't work with Siri with shortcuts. You can use Siri to control any Google assistant compatible device. And Patrick even made a video for us to show this. So I'll link that in the show notes. Uh, He says, I've taken it a step further where I use NFC tags with shortcuts to execute a routine in Google Assistant. So think about this. You've got an NFC tag that triggers a shortcut, and that shortcut triggers uh, – to trigger – you've got an NFC tag to trigger a Siri shortcut, and then that Siri shortcut triggers Google Assistant. uh, And really, you're just using Siri shortcuts as the glue between the NFC tag and the action in Google Assistant – this says, for example, when I'm about to go to my office in the basement, I tap an NFC tag and it turns on a small light so I can see the stairway path going down the steps and it turns on the actual lights in the office. So I'm ready to go right away. This is I'll record a future video of that as well. That's awesome, Patrick. I love it. So cool. Wow. Yeah, this is good. This is good. This is why we do this show. I love things like that. That's awesome. <laughs> thoughts on that john have you messed with nfc tags at all
1: i have one of those i tag tags and actually i was fiddling with it the other day so whereas my old phone you had to run an app to read a tag i guess the the 11 and beyond uh i think think Um, you just put it near the tag and
0: 10R, maybe and beyond, 10S and beyond, something. But you're right, certainly 11 and beyond. Yeah, mm-hmm. you can, we'll auto read tags. But I think it started one generation before that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I got to, I got to think about. Yeah. What,
1: the the right. other thing I noticed so, um so using the phone, just, just a few things that I noticed. So yeah. one, Face ID almost always doesn't work when I'm out and about.
0: When you have a mask on.
1: Correct. Okay. Um, so what, what happens is it comes up and say, it says double click on the power button and it's like, okay, right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I guess they figure something's wrong here. So let me, let me
0: offer you this option. Yeah. Um. You're, wait, 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 wait. So rewind. Cause you, I know what you're talking about now. So face ID works fine outside. It's just that face ID doesn't work when you have a mask on, regardless of whether you're, at your, at your house right. or somewhere else. Okay. And you're talking about mm-hmm. using it for, because for unlocking your phone, you don't have to hit the power button. You're talking about using it for, right. um, uh, for Apple pay, Apple pay. Got it. Okay. Mm-hmm. Just trying to paint the rest of the picture for you. Yeah. Yeah. Right. They've made that so much smoother where you just type your passcode and you're good to go. So, yeah.
1: Yeah. And that's the other thing that will come up if, it yeah. <clears throat> if you don't want to double click, um, and no, you cannot. So, uh, I also saw this tip on Twitter somewhere. I think uh, um, you can do multiple face profiles. I didn't know this um, for Face ID phones. <clears> Though <throat> so you can't, or it, it refuses to do one if you're wearing a mask. It actually comes up and says, uh, "Yeah, you got something covering your face, so I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna." <laughs> right. Yeah, it, no. In the back of my knows. mind, I was like, "Wouldn't that be a clever way to have it work out?" You know, when you're out and about and masked up, but but it it, it I guess there's not enough information there to create a face ID profile, right?
0: I yeah, my guess is that Apple tried this right and realized that there's not mm-hmm. enough unique information and that it would be too easy to grab your mask and now unlock your phone, right? So, or use the mm-hmm. same mask that you use. Like if, you know, if you're, if let's say you n- usually nor- normally use like KN95 masks. Okay, well, I could go buy KN95 mm-hmm. masks. And if you want some, actually, I'll put a link in the show where I get all mine because it's less than I can get them on Amazon. But um, yeah, that's, that's, uh, I, I I would guess that that's probably it. Yeah. <sighs> all right. Well, let's see. So are you liking Face ID so far though? Oh, um Yeah, it almost
1: almost always works.
0: Well, that's good. Good. I'm glad. <laughs> um yeah. All right. Cool. Any more thoughts on on Face ID or anything like that? Or or your phone uh, in general?
1: Um well, we're going to talk a little bit about um <laughs>
0: That's true. That's true.
1: We'll, we'll 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 talk about another part of my my saga um, with one of the questions. Okay.
0: All right. We'll we'll get there. Yeah. All right. Uh, back to quick tips, which it seems like we're having a really hard time getting to here. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> listener, listener, Mark says. Uh, let's see. The um, oh, listener, Mark says he was having a problem with his Apple watch not taking a software update and uh, we suggested and it worked try restarting the Apple watch. I've seen this before, right? You either have to restart the phone or restart the Apple watch. And then the, you know, whatever the sync issue is no longer is and boom, you can restart or you can get the software update to happen. But the trick is how do you restart an Apple watch? Uh, Because listener Mark said he had to look it up. And to do it you press and hold the side button so not the crown but the other button uh and hold it until you see a bunch of sliders come up the top one will be power off and the others will be like if you have your medical ID show that other and the emergency SOS will be there and then you have to wait for it to turn off and just like with an iPhone right you you wait it turns off and then you press the same button Uh, And hold it until you see the Apple logo and that wakes it back or starts it back up, I should say. So it's all about the side button. Uh, I know you were you you thought I was going to say it's all about that base, John, but it's not. It's all about that side, button. (laughs) that's how we do it. (laughs) So, yeah, good tip, Mark. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thoughts on that or are we moving on here, Mr. Braun? Let's let's move. Let's move. Let's move tonight. Well, it's not night, but it might be night for people who are listening. Uh, Listener Neil, by the way, I got to speak for the uh, Connecticut Mac users group. We talked about Plex on Tuesday night, Wednesday night this past week. And uh, it was a great thing. In fact, they (laughs) Rob Griffiths, who, you know, from many tricks software, but he was also with Mac OS 10 Hints. He he uh, he spoke for them last month. He assembled. Uh, a bunch of the old mac guard to uh to show up so i'm surprised you weren't there he he got um paul kent was there jim dalrymple was there chris breen ian shray and and of course rob all showed up at the beginning of the meeting as a as a little surprise which was really nice <laughs> it was cool to have a little chat with um with all those those folks and, and all the folks at the user group meeting they did a great job but you they, they they really do a good job at your at your user group there in um, in Connecticut, John and it was a it was a nice little meeting. So, uh, that said, listener Neil, who is from that group, says a quick tip uh, for you. He says I had been playing around with uh, the using md find at the terminal to search Spotlight's database, which is how you do that. He says, I know this is not strictly necessary for most folks and there are better tools such as HudaSpot or Spotlight itself for the most part, but I do have some applications largely related to my own automatic scripts where I use MDFind quite extensively. Unfortunately, MDFind's documentation for constructing queries is rather limited. An interesting way to learn more is to actually create a smart folder in the Finder. So this is the tip. And then open the resulting saved search in a text editing app, Such as BB edit, the format of a smart folder is actually just a P list and the spotlight that is actually used to populate the smart folder appears in the P list, making it possible to create varieties on the search criteria in smart folders. And then that way you can learn how queries are constructed. So I love these kinds of things because they are, you know, the, the, this is how we learn, Right. But yeah, if you create a smart folder and and then right click on it and show in Finder, it'll actually bring you to the P list for that. And I think those are in, I think it's just in library. Uh, No, I don't have one on this computer, so I can't tell you what they are. But um, but but I'm pretty sure that's it's 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 in library It might be in saved searches. Do you have a smart folder on your Mac, John? Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay. Nope. All right. Um, let me see if I do this right. and I save this. Yeah. It's in save searches, which is in your home folder. Library saved searches is, is where that is. So that's where you would look for those P list files. And then, uh, and then from there offward, off and on you go, which is pretty cool. So thank you, listener, Neil. It, it, it is great. I mean, these, save searches, the, the, the P list data for them is it really helpful because it shows you what you would paste at the, or what you would use at the command line to create that same search. And it is like the weirdest non grep regular expression type thing that you've ever seen it you know you do a couple of these like he said make some tweaks to your saved searches so you can see what changes and it'll start to identify for you like ah this is how that works and so pretty cool neil so thank you good little tip so Uh, wait it's
1: in home
0: library is it a folder name name save searches uh uh-huh Home library saved searches. And you should have that folder. Even if you, I have that folder, even though there's nothing Mm. in it. No. Okay. So the first, the Hmm. first time you create a saved search, so you just do a search in the finder. And when you've got it the way you want, there's a little save button right above kind of the search thing. Click that. And then it'll create the folder for you. So, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I did find a link for, um, for accessing the uh, M1 Mac startup options. Uh, I, I, Apple doesn't have a. They, I didn't I couldn't find an Apple knowledge based article on getting into like recovery mode for Apple Silicon Macs. But um, but uh, I more did a great little write up on it after the session at WWDC that described it. So I think I need to go back and watch that session. So I'll put that in the show notes, too. Uh, any more quick tips, John? No. Yes. People. listen. No. Okay. Cool. Uh, yeah. All right. So let's talk about this new M one air. Uh, you know, if you are interested in them, you've probably read all the reviews where people are raving about these things. People are raving about the speed. It, it does truly wind up being, uh, you know, I think, I think the, the M one chip, winds up being about 10 percent faster than the top of the line 16 inch macbook pro in fact i i think in order to find a mac that that clocks in raw cpu speed wise faster than this you'd have to get to either an imac pro or a mac pro at, at this point so it like they did make this thing fast it's ridiculous uh what do you know off the top of your head john what in terms of the ssd how fast yours clocks in on the macbook pro with uh with like black magic in terms of just raw ssd speeds
1: um last i looked yeah it was it was about the same that we saw on yours so i think they're using the same
0: okay yeah because it's like ssd and plus 2500 megabytes per second give or take because it's always impossible to get like the ssd to yourself you know if it's the boot drive but Mm -hmm. yeah that's that's about what i was seeing that's what others had said too yeah so it's it's definitely faster than i was getting on my 2018 air so they must be like you said using uh, that better controller on the ssd It, it really it's it's a culmination of the little things is really what comes down to sort of the user experience of this. Uh, The instant wake from sleep is, is perhaps the most obvious one that that's been talked about a lot because it's something that everybody can instantly relate to. And it truly is, especially if you've got an Apple watch on that you have set to unlock your Mac, you just open it up and you're good to go. Like by the time the lid is open, it is ready to roll which isn't a great surprise because it's just like the uh, the iPad. And and to that end John, I've been running iStat Menus on it, which is interesting. It shows mm-hmm. eight cores. Uh it does not mm-hmm. yet show which of those which four of those eight are the low power cores and which are the high power cores, but it's obvious from looking at their utilization that four of these cores are different than the others. Uh And I'm not entirely sure, like it's hard to tell. Sometimes like four of them will just be running like full tilt and other times they're not. But, but, and I, so I think those are the low power cores, but it's hard to say because other times all eight are just sitting, you know, idle. Hyper threading, you can turn it on. You can turn on show hyper threading cores or not in iStat menus and nothing comes up because I don't think these are hyper threaded cores. I think that they are just like it's not an intel chip so i don't think hyperthreading's a thing on on arm but um
1: right now did you um did you do migration assistant
0: well like i said before i did both i i i started it up the night i got it i started it up fresh and just let it be its own thing and then i decided i wanted to do migration assistant and that's when i found how mm-hmm. you have to get into recovery mode and so i did but instead of wiping out the initial partition or initial volume, I I just mm-hmm. – um, I added a volume to it and, uh, mm-hmm. it would, you know, with disk utility and then installed Big Sur into that and then from that let it do migration assistant. So, yes, I did migration assistant over Thunderbolt. I used a Thunderbolt cable to plug the two Macs, my old Air and the new Air, into each other and away we went. Okay. Yeah. And that worked fine. I mean – Trying to, oh, so no. Now did it, did, did it, did it
1: identify any, did it identify any apps that were incompatible? No.
0: they've done that in the, okay. Well, because there aren't, I don't think there would be any, I was coming from a Big Sur Mac, so, I was already done mm-hmm. with 32 bit apps, right? Like, if we think of, if we look, if we look now in, you know, hindsight, it's obvious to see the path that Apple mm-hmm. took knowing they were getting us here, right? The 32 bit apocalypse mm-hmm. that happened was because of this, mm-hmm. right? Like, you know, and, and so, it, like, they had already, yeah, there weren't any, but it's a good question because I have some, it, the amount of universal apps that exist universal being apps that can run uh, natively on uh, either in or both intel and m1 the number of universal apps that i have mm-hmm. is ridiculous and it the same is probably true for you if you're running big sur you can see mm-hmm. whether they're universal or not either in the finder or in system preferences but mm-hmm. um the like even apps like coconut battery are already universal like it, it's i from talking to the folks at, at Bajango who make iStat menus, you know, they were like, oh, yeah, it, you know, for most developers, it truly is just check the box and recompile and you're done, uh, which is cool. Mm-hmm. You know, some people, obviously, there's there's more that they more work that they've got to do. But but by and large, Firefox is already universal. It, you know, it's it, Apple has done a good job with it. They've also done a good job with Rosetta, which I'll I'll, I'll get to very briefly here. But what was interesting was the first time I booted up after. Running migration assistant, I noticed a lot of things, like especially things in my menu bar uh and but other startup apps hadn't started up, and I thought, well, that's weird, huh, okay, must just be migration assistant and so I went and manually launched it, and the first time I manually launched an app that was not universal, it said. To want to use this app, you need to install Rosetta. Should I install Rosetta? So it asked for permission to install Rosetta, which is the translation libraries that will allow Intel apps to run on the M1 chip. And once I did that and then restarted, then it launched all of my stuff. So it won't install Rosetta. It won't even ask to install Rosetta if you haven't intentionally launched an app, either from the dock or from the finder or whatever, <laughs> but you know, just having it in your startup items, it was like, Nope, can't run this. So I'm not even going to, I'm not going to bother the user. We're just going to leave it alone, which was a little, we, I mean, I, I understand the decision, but it's a, it was a little weird because there was nothing telling me why these apps weren't running. Uh, but it's interesting mm-hmm. with Rosetta, as I understand it, most apps don't run emulated, in real time, they go through a translation process the first time they're launched. And then after that, it just runs from the cache, which is way more efficient. And the only time I even noticed that translation happening was I went to launch Slack, which is not universal. It's Intel. And I noticed like I waited a beat before it like truly you know, did its launch process. And that was it. And it was like, well, that was weird. What is, Oh, I bet this is Rosetta. And, and then I quit it and relaunched and it came right back up. So it was like, yeah, that's probably what that was. But you don't get any progress bar or anything mm-hmm. because you don't need one. Like it's, it was almost imperceptible how long, you know, the, the, that, that quick little translation took. So, yeah. Um, one thing sort of the first, other than the wake from sleep, which was like, Oh, that's really nice. And it is really nice. Um, The first experience I had with, oh, this is why life is going to be different now is when I did that install a big surge on. I was sitting in my office and, you know, messing with the thing. And I got the install happening and it said, okay, it's going to take an hour or whatever. You know, I was like, great, okay. And I threw my computer, not through, but, you know, sort of gently tossed the computer down onto the couch and I realized I put it down on a blanket. And I had that immediate thought of, Oh wait, like the CPU is going to be going, the drive's going to be going. I don't want to leave my laptop on a blanket while it's doing a software install. Cause it's going to overheat. And I thought, no, no re I wouldn't hesitate to put my iPad down on a blanket. If it was doing an install, there's no fan in this. There's no, there's nothing to worry about. And so I just left it there uh, on the blanket. I came back maybe 25 minutes later, Just to check on it and see, like, is this thing going to cause, you know, (laughs) did I make a bad decision? And no, I didn't. My decision was sound. Uh, I was actually really like so. So those little things and like I've used it for hours truly on my lap. It doesn't get hot so that that what I call heat freedom is one of those little things that uh, that you get with this with this machine because by and large other than these little things and the fact that as a macbook air it is much faster than it ever deserved to be with credit to charlotte henry for that phrase uh you know it feels like a mac looks like a mac smells like a mac my it's literally in the same case as my old macbook air like i have a a little acrylic shell that i put over my my air and it fit perfectly on this because it's the same box you know so so that, you know, that, that part's cool. It's f- so nice doing software. Like when I was downloading Big Sur um, on it, I saw it coming in at, you know, uh, Ethernet speeds. And it was like, right, Wi-Fi 6. Finally, I'm not hamstrung by Wi-Fi 5. I saw it coming in at like, you know, 70 or 80 megabytes a second. It was like, okay, this is how life hmm. should be. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I'm trying to think of what else. Oh, activity monitor. This does not exist unless you are running Big Sur on an M one Mac, but there is a new column. You can add an activity monitor for architecture. So you can see in real time, which apps are Intel and which apps are Apple. And, And that is how it's listed. Apple or Intel as the architecture, which is pretty cool. I think so. Um, okay, and yeah. I would imagine that
1: there's nothing that will let you look at what speed the
0: processor is running at. Um, Geekbench seems to be able to tell that it's a 3.2 oh, okay. gigahertz processor, and, and I think over time... Oh, interesting. Yeah, yeah. So, I, I yeah, I don't think iStat Menus is showing me that yet. But but I think it probably will. Uh, I it seems like there is a way of getting that information out of the out of the processor somehow. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, I know Geekbench reports it. If you look in the Geekbench browser, and it's cool. I'll, I'll 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 create a link and put it in the show notes. The the Geekbench if you search browser.geekbench.com for Apple Silicon. You can see all the results of the M1 Max and the Apple Developer Kit Max, which are so presumably the M1 is an A14 chip, for, you know, in it. That Apple Developer Kit was most definitely an A12 chip. So you can see the speed deltas and all of that. It's, it, the M1s are about fifty percent faster than the Developer Kit ones were. Um, but yeah, but yeah, three point two gigahertz is is what it says. Eight cores, three point two. Um, homebrew, if you are, if you use a package manager, this is one thing where the translation and all of that is not working as you would, it's not as smooth, perhaps that's the right way to say it. If you try, if you just go into terminal and you try to run any of your old, you know, Rosetta thing or any of your old. Stuff that's launched, it will it will complain at you because it's running inside a terminal session that is running on Apple Silicon. And so Rosetta doesn't apply there, but there is a hack. So there's two hacks. Number one, you can install the in-development Apple Silicon builds of Homebrew. Uh, And they have some instructions on their website about how to do that. And in fact, when you try to run homebrew inside the terminal, it will tell you, go here, follow these instructions and, you know, live dangerously. It's not dangerously. It's just you're you're running. There's not everything is available. And, you know, it's all of that. Or you can try this other hack, which works perfectly. So you go. It's weird. But but follow me here, John. You go into your applications in the finder applications find the terminal app right click on it and duplicate it so now you have two terminal apps Mm -hmm. name the new terminal app something like rosetta terminal then do a get info on it and you will see a checkbox run in rosetta because it's now terminal is now a Mm. universal app so it has both right so tell it run in rosetta close the get info window, launch the terminal. Now you're running an Intel terminal app and all of your homebrew stuff works just fine, which is kind of mm. cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a hack. It's a workaround temporary. And, and you know, there, the, the homebrew community is, is working on this. And quite frankly, I was able to get the things I need like YouTube DL and iPerf three. And you know, those, those few things that I use semi regularly, in the terminal, I was able to get uh, those compiled for Apple Silicon using Homebrew after having installed Homebrew it, you know, in the right place for Apple Silicon in the right way and all of that stuff. So it's it's doable. It's just not release version yet because they just haven't gotten it there. But um, but yeah. Mm. Yeah, no, it's it works. So, look, if you're someone that's doing stuff in the terminal, any of the things that are required to do this, either creating the Rosetta, you know, terminal or installing homebrew in its own place, it's relatively trivial. It's no big deal. So, yeah. And in the why department, John, I have run some iPhone apps on my M1 Mac because that's a thing I can do now. And I don't, like, I have yet, I told you, I think on this show that I wanted, I was excited to be able to run my weather app. And I can, but it's not, like, I feel like even running it in the iOS simulator would be better than the experience I have with iOS apps on, um, you know, inside Big Sur. I it, it's It's a work in progress, let's call it that. And and leave it at that. It's not the smoothest thing, but yeah, I'm not, I'm just, I don't understand the use case yet, but I'm sure maybe someday I will. Maybe, maybe some apps will do a little better. Maybe apps can be, maybe there's a future where people are building truly one app. And then when it realizes it's running on a Mac it does different things. And now we're in a world where apps are just built once. And it's like, here's what it looks like on the phone. Here's what it looks like on the iPad. Here's what it looks like on the Mac. We're not quite there yet. So who knows? Maybe that's what pages is now, right? Maybe that's what, uh, what many of these apps are. Maybe it is just, you know, one app to rule them all. So, but I, there's a future there. We just aren't there yet. So we'll look back and, and see it in the end i don't know okay yeah now the things that don't work
1: yes like parallels isn't going to work the same
0: it's not going to work the same but as i understand it the way it's going to work is um they are going to run separate virtual machines inside of rosetta containers So Mm -hmm. the emulation is happening with Rosetta to Intel and then it's virtualized from there, which is really smart because you're taking advantage of all the low level work that Apple has done to get that there. So similar to what I what I just talked about with the terminal, right, to get the homebrew stuff Mm -hmm. to run. It's like, yep, give me a an Intel container. I don't care how we got here. Go. And, you know, because of how fast these machines are, it's fine and how efficient Rosetta has been built to be. I'm guessing that we'll see that pretty soon. So that I think that's how they're doing it, which is cool. So, so it will be doable. Yeah. Relatively easily, I think. I mean, you know, so says Dave sitting in his studio, <laughs> not, not having to do any of the work. <laughs> any other stuff on okay. that?
1: Yeah. Now, did you. Um, oh, yeah. No, I just saw this in the uh, chat room here. Um, yeah. Gruber did a little write up. Um, oh, yeah. Have have you tried running any iOS apps?
0: John, I just talked about that. That's what I was saying with my weather app. So you must have been researching oh, right, while I was right. talking. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. 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 So like I said, the the future of the iOS app thing is, is going to get there. But yeah. Mm-hmm. So listen back. You'll hear. Okay. Was yeah. there anything that absolutely did not work? Um, I, I, other than like, a uh, you know, parallels, like you said, virtualization, that's not available yet. I haven't tried it though. Like, I don't know what would happen if I just ran it in Rosetta and sort of forced it. So, um, so maybe, um, uh, maybe that, um, okay. other, otherwise. Or like audio
1: stuff or, you know, or like the things we mentioned before is that, you know, things you may have issues with are network stuff and, um.
0: Yeah, uh, hardware. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, that's more of a big sur thing, right? If you've got apps that are using right, right. system extensions for networking or or it, user user interface stuff like um, USB things, then those need to be rewritten because mm-hmm. big sur doesn't allow them. However, no, you're right. Like audio hijack and loopback are not currently publicly available for. Uh, M1 Max because they use and sound source as well because they use an engine that audio hide that uh, Rogamiba calls ACE, which is their sort of here's our mm-hmm. low level uh, hook into core audio. And that needs mm-hmm. to be rewritten for M1. Now it, they say that it has been, and they've got internal versions of these working on M1 Max already. They just aren't ready to release that yet, but it seems like, you know, real soon now is not, uh, not mm-hmm. a joke. Like we should see them relatively soon. So yeah, 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 yeah. But you're right that like, I could not record this podcast this way on an M one Mac. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know about memo live yep. yet. Um, I was thinking this morning though, like th- w- well, actually I was thinking months ago when we moved to video, it's like, man, the next time I travel, I don't know how I'm going to do this because my MacBook Air can't run Memo Live and do, you know, video crunching and, and all of the things that it needs to do to, to do the show the way we do it. So we might just have to skip video for shows that we record while I travel. And this morning I was thinking, man, once they have an M1 native and maybe even before they have an M1 native version of Memo Live, like I, this that machine will do better than my iMac. 2019 i7 imac here Mm -hmm. in the studio (laughs) because it doesn't have a fan it won't overheat i don't have to use turbo boost switcher so that's a nice thing right i don't run turbo boost Mm -hmm. switcher anymore to keep my fan at bay in that machine i do run it here in the studio to keep it at bay so that y'all don't hear my fans running while we're recording Mm -hmm. this show but yeah yeah so yeah it's pretty good all right cool uh yeah, I'm excited about this thing though. It it you know, it is a smooth experience, which is great. Like that's as it as it should be, but so well done. It's the smoothest transition hardware transition that I've ever experienced from Apple, right? You know, we went from 68k to PowerPC, PowerPC to Intel, and now Intel to M1 and this is like I said far and away the smoothest because it's not a new architecture for Apple. Right. They've been on this Apple Silicon arm architecture for, you know, for a very long time with iPhone, iPad. So, yeah. All right. We have some uh, some tips to share here, John. I want to do that. The uh, the next thing I want to do, though, is talk about our sponsors. If that works for you, my friend. Please. All right, you know here on Mac E-Cab, we're always looking to make our lives easier using technology, right? Like that's what we do. That's what we've been talking about. That's what we're going to continue talking about, and we're talking about it right now. One thing that you all know took me a little time to get on board with was smart bulbs because I just didn't grok the gloriousness of smart bulbs, especially smart bulbs connected to Alexa. And right now, Amazon Alexa is offering a special smart lighting bundle for Mac GeekGab listeners at Amazon.com slash MGG. I recently got a new Singlet bulb uh, that you can get as part of this bundle, full color bulb, and I put it in my bathroom. And so having this bulb that changes colors like on a cycle While I'm showering, it's actually a really cool experience in there. Of course, you don't have to use it in the bathroom. You could use it anywhere. And that's the beauty of all this stuff. Because with an Amazon Smart Lighting Bundle, you can turn your home into a smart home in just minutes, right? And setup is easy. There's a reason that Alexa, the A-Lady, as we like to call her here on the show, is our favorite smart home controller, because it just works and it's compatible with all the things that we can find. So you can say things like, Alexa, turn on the lights, you can set lighting routines and all of that stuff. And right now, get $10 off a two-pack of Singlet Smart Color Changing Light Bulbs, just like the ones I put in my bathroom, only at amazon.com slash MGG. This offer is available for a limited time, though, so now's the time to get your home set up with smart lighting, That's $10 off a Singlet Bulb 2-pack at Amazon.com slash MGG. Amazon.com slash MGG. Our thanks to Amazon for sponsoring this episode. You know, we're always busy, productive as I like to say, but that can make things stressful when you've got deadlines and you're creating stuff. And that's where our next sponsor comes in, especially here in 2020, because you need stress relief that goes beyond quick fixes, and that's Headspace at headspace.com/mgg headspace is your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy to use app right on your phone Headspace is one of the only meditation apps advancing the fields of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. So whatever the situation, Headspace really can help you feel better. Are you overwhelmed? They have a three-minute SOS meditation for you. Need help falling asleep? Headspace has wind-down sessions that their members swear by. I haven't tried it for falling asleep yet, but I do use it uh, in my office for meditations like midday, uh, I've been a Headspace user for a long time long before they they approached us about this sponsorship and uh, it, it is fantastic. The way they sort of coach you through these things makes it super easy even if you've never meditated before and Headspace is backed by 25 published studies on its benefits. They've got like 600,000 five-star reviews and over 60 million downloads. Headspace makes it easy for you to build a life-changing meditation practice with mindfulness that works for you on your schedule anytime anywhere. You deserve to feel happier and Headspace is meditation made simple. Go to headspace.com/mgg. That's headspace.com/mgg for a free 1-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. Again, this is the best deal offered right now. Head to headspace.com slash today to take advantage. And our thanks to Headspace for sponsoring this episode. And if you need to talk to a professional, either about your physical health or your mental health, Plush Care makes this super easy. I would use Plush Care even if we weren't in a pandemic, but especially in a pandemic, I would use Plush Care because Plush Care provides virtual doctor's appointments through your smartphone or your computer. You just pick a time that works and book an appointment. I've done this, and I've gotten same-day appointments with doctors. They can prescribe medication if that's you know warranted by whatever you've got going on. Like I said, there's medical doctors, there's mental health professionals there. Uh, With plush care, you know, they can diagnose you and it can all happen within minutes. They accept most major insurance carriers and are available in all 50 states and the doctors care. They're there to help by discussing all the treatment options and they're there anytime. In fact, you can even like text them after the fact in the app. It's really cool the way it all works. You got to check it out. And with plush care, I don't put off seeing a doctor and you don't have to either, right? No more excuses for either one of us. Make your appointment today. Go to plushcare.com slash MGG. That's P-L-U-S-H-C-A-R-E dot com slash M-G-G. One more time with feeling plushcare.com slash M-G-G. Our thanks to plushcare for sponsoring this episode.
1: All right, Dave. Uh, I think we're going to go to Greg
0: if I can. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) We have a lot in the Uh, queue this week, John. (laughs) Look for the uh no, for the brick like icon because Greg has a complaint. Yeah, no, about I got it. It's big sir bricking his Mac.
1: Yeah. The thing I'm having a problem with is getting to the first page of this. <laughs> <sighs> All right. No, you notice they changed that in um in Evernote. I can't get to the first page of
0: this thing. Oh, great. Do you want me to read it? You want me to take us to Bruce uh, while you get it open?
1: No, I mean, it's open. I just, I can't get, there was an arrow at the bottom to get to the second page, but it's not. I
0: I just, I just open the PDF and scroll through, man. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to do. Double click the, uh, the PDF and it'll open in preview and then you should be good to go. Ah, all right. There's always a workaround, folks. Oh, no. Here we go. Great. No, no.
1: I just opened it again, and it's on the first page. Okay. Oh, I think I found a bug. You never know. All right. Hi, John and Dave. Hope you're doing great. Here is my Big Sur update saga. Maybe this will help a listener. Perhaps. This happened to me during the Big Sur update on late Thursday when upgrading from Catalina. Uh, It's apparently happening to Macs of a certain year, and there's a Mac Rumors article. That he's linked to. I'll put that uh, link in the
0: show notes. Mac
1: OS. Big yes. So he's a mid 2014 MacBook pro, uh, did a carbon copy cloner, time machine backup during the install. It restarted to a black screen. Uh oh. Didn't even see the install happening yet. When this happened, I tried everything and still wouldn't continue the update just stuck on the black screen. Holding option key didn't work with the USB thumb drive installer. um, yeah, that that actually, uh, if you do that, that runs something called Startup Manager, which lets you select the startup from, which can be handy. Um, so he did that. Um, He's at the PRAM at the beginning, but later in the troubleshooting, it didn't work. No keyboard commands work except resetting the SMC and Internet recovery. Yeesh. Huh? Uh Uh, that's not good uh, yeah yeah reset the smc i was able to boot into internet recovery mode if i did an smc reset a few times i tried to reinstall catalina and i got it to finish but it wasn't easy i was able to start up the mac and see the desktop after that but i may have had to force shut down an smc reset man Um, after that i restarted the mac and it and it still kept booting to a black screen. I tried to update to Big Sur, but I couldn't do that because when it got to that point, it didn't recognize my file vault password anymore and couldn't log in. When I initially started the Big Sur update, it did accept my file vault password, but not after I reinstalled Catalina. It couldn't mount the data portion to do the install. Uh, it seemed a disutility. The system volume was mounted, but not the data volume. When I tried to mount that, it asked for my password, but it wouldn't accept that or accept other other account passwords. Wow! When I picked up my shiny new iPhone, iPhone 12 Pro Max at the Apple store the next day, I had Apple level two support on the phone uh, while waiting in line. They didn't know anything about this issue, but I told them it was just going to wipe it and restore from a backup. That night, after several attempts having to reset the SMC as it wouldn't do anything without that, I was able to get into internet recovery using command option R. I think that actually downloads the latest version, right?
0: That's, yeah, that's internet recovery. It doesn't take the whatever it has on the local drive. It, it slurps it down over the, mm-hmm. over the network. Yeah, exactly. Right, yep. right. All right, using Disk Utility, I formatted it with macOS Extended
1: Journal. Okay. Didn't format it as APFS as I knew it would convert it. Uh, I install Catalina as Big Sur is not available yet with the internet recovery. But every time it restarted, it went to the black screen, so I forced it to shut down holding the power button and reset SMC. Did this a few times until I saw the keys light up in the Apple logo with the progress bar and the install continue. Apple logo with progress bar. Yeah. I wonder if that was doing a firm. Mm. All right. Had to do this several times and the install was complete as it always restarted to a black screen. I did wait to see if it would continue, but the black screen persisted. Same thing happened when I updated to Big Sur. Um, After the install of Big Sur, it started and I set it up and finished, but when I restart, black screen again. Ah. Wow. All right. Um, Let's see. And then he said he talked to an Apple consultant friend and they asked if it was working and it worked fine. I guess his 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 suspicion is that it may have been a power issue. I don't know, man. That I mean, seems... with all those SMC resets, they should that should take care of any power Yeah, issues. Like, There's
0: yeah. more SMC resets here than I think we've suggested on the show in the last, you know, in all of twenty twenty. That that's um mm-hmm. I would love to know what the problem was with this. I mean, I what I'm glad to know, and I I guess the takeaway is those SMC resets, like if you're finding an install that's stuck, something is getting saved to the SMC slash PRAM and wiping that out seems to unstick it sometimes, which is I, I don't know that I would have thought to do like an SMC reset in the middle of a failed install. So I to me, that's the takeaway from this is just like, you know, bullheaded persistence And involve lots of SMC and PRAM resets and, and, you know, I don't know, cross your fingers and wave a chicken or something. I don't know. Yeah.
1: But it sounds like he had uh, a few other people had the same issue. So it sounds like it's isolated to Big Sur and certain, certain
0: MacBooks, I guess. Yeah. Really interesting. Huh. I wonder if it can't be related, but they the, to the to the issue of of installing Big Sur fresh on an M1 Mac. But uh, it's, I mean, it's totally different architecture, right? But yeah, they're, at, mm-hmm. at Mac Rumors, they are saying that you know. <laughs> that, It's weird to read this because it sounds like black magic, but key reset combinations, including NVRAM, SMC, safe mode and Internet recovery, all reportedly inaccessible after attempting to install the update, leaving no way to bypass the static black screen. Um, But if you can get one of those to work, yeah, maybe so maybe there is a short like whatever the problem is. This is just Dave's, you know, working theory on the fly here. So after I have some time to like meditate with headspace, I might have a better option. Uh, but the um, maybe there's there's something happening that just locks up the Mac. Right. And there's a very short window between power on. Listen to the keyboard and it running whatever this code is that locks it up, where if you can get in there and do the you know SMC reset or whatever that is, that gets it past whatever that spot is temporarily. I don't know. Like there's there's obviously more to this, but I'm glad to know that some bullheaded persistence and perhaps lots of timing for this will uh will get through it. Man. No bueno. Glad you got through it, Greg. Thanks for sharing the uh tale of woe. But uh yeah, man. I don't know. Oh, I don't know interesting, interesting yeah i I don't know what do, do you have any other thoughts to add, man no no okay <laughs> it's that's a strange one all right, uh, speaking of big Sur John listener Bruce has a a tip more of a heads up to share uh it seems Apple chose to deprecate network utility. And it is no longer available in Big Sur. So um, when you try to run network utility on a machine that you've migrated over, uh, it, it will launch. But it says network utility has been deprecated for networking tools, netstat, ping, lookup, traceroute, who is finger, open terminal and type the underlying command at the command line. For Wi-Fi issues, open Wireless Diagnostics and follow the on-screen instructions to analyze your network connection. So Wireless Diagnostics is still there. Uh it's it's it, the strangest part about all this, John, is that the it's Apple literally telling us to use terminal to do something. I've never I don't know that I've ever seen that before, but but perhaps as an explanation as to why Apple did this, I never ran network utility. I always just went to the terminal and ran those commands. So maybe they realized most people weren't ever running network utility and there was no reason to, you know, keep updating it or keep it fresh or migrate it to a universal app or, you know, any of those things. Um, Just go to the terminal, do your thing, man. So Bruce asked, is there a replacement? And I, I would say, Quite frankly, Apple's Apple suggestion is certainly the one I use. Um, Somebody, I think it's Brian Monroe in our chat room at live.macgeekab.com wrote into our agenda. This is where using an iOS app on an M1 Mac might come in handy because there are iOS network utility apps. But the only reason there are iOS network utility apps is because you can't run terminal on an iPhone which is frustrating and I understand why, but you know, like th- these apps have to exist because terminal doesn't. So I would say this is a, if you are doing these types of things, if you're doing pings regularly or trace routes or, you know, any of who is, that's a good, it's an excellent entry point to the terminal because it's not overly complex and it gets you comfortable with just doing things at the terminal Um if you want to do these kinds of things, there are other things at the terminal that you will also likely want to do at some point. So I don't know. That's my thought. What do you think, John?
1: Um, let's see. I think. He.net network. Hurricane electric uh, is a package um, of network tools that runs on iOS. So, uh, and it has, yeah. I think pretty much. I actually used it. Uh, the, there's iperf in it, so you can do a, you know, a. a oh yeah. Network uh, throughput benchmark. I did that. Um, just checking the speed on my Wi-Fi, and I'm like, oh yeah, I can, I can do it. So that that may be a, a a good replacement. I mean, even network utility was really just a GUI in front of those commands. That's right. right.
0: That it's exactly right. Yeah. And and I. As a as a terminal user, I always felt network utility was cumbersome and limited with those commands because I couldn't do, you know, you run them the way Apple says you can run them. But it's like, well, if you're used to those commands, like, well, actually, I want to run it this way or I want to do tracer without DNS lookups to make it go faster and all that stuff. So, yeah, that that would make sense. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, um, I'd forgotten that Hurricane Electric's network tools had uh, had. Iperf in it, but I was thinking at the same time, like this does make it easier to run Iperf 3 on your Mac because you could download the Iperf 3 utility that exists for free in the app store that we talked about two or three weeks ago, uh, right there on your M1 Mac. Mm. Again, I'm, you know, I just do it in the terminal, but with um, actually maybe that's the best way to run it on your M1 Mac right now because... Homebrew isn't up to date yet for M1. So maybe I should download that. Maybe that's mm-hmm. that's the killer app. iPerf 3, the killer app. I don't know. Yeah, interesting. Interesting. Uh, you want to take us to Jürgen?
1: Yeah. So Jürgen says, you might remember that I contacted you some time ago with a strange problem I was having. The connection to my Synology NAS was dropping to a crawl without any obvious reason. Restart of my Mac always solved the problem but it was coming back after various amounts of time I never could figure out why and I was therefore restarting my Mac a lot. Um he's the guy that also asked about gluing two internet connections together so I guess he uh I guess he managed to do that. Uh, on the surface, two unrelated topics, but here's how they come together. With my cable modem router and my fiber modem router in the same network, I was having strange phenomenon regarding transfer speed. Then I heard Dave talking about managed slash smart switches. Following some intuition, I decided to rebuild my network. Uh, I bought a D-Link DGS-1100-16 16-port gigabit smart managed switch. Um. And replace the, the... That's what you got, right, Dave? Yeah, I have one of those here. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Uh, and replace the dumb switch uh, between my Mac and my router. As you might have guessed, the speed increased to a stable maximum. Using the cable detection mode, Mode. I found a bad cable. Cool. Replacing that and going back to the old switch brought back the problem. As it turns out, the switch had some damaged ports. So this combination of a bad cable and a bad switch were causing the problem. I replaced the, both during troubleshooting, but only one or the other, never both. Um, hmm. Yeah, so, um, yeah, my reflection is, um, yeah, smart switches... Uh, you know, I wasn't, I don't think it was the thing that sold you, Dave, but it is a feature that uh, I have a TP-Link one and uh, and uh it has the same feature. It has a cable test and it actually, at least the one on here, will actually guess how long it is. Yeah. You can do that with, you know, electricity. <clears throat> you can calculate how, how long the cable is and it'll tell you if it's good or bad. Right. Uh The other thing that a smart switch does, which you may have been able to find the problem as well. Oh, well, I don't know if this other one was smart. But, no, it wasn't. Um, that was the problem. Smart switch is also... Okay. Because on a smart switch, the other thing is that, or at least on this one, and I'm sure yours, Dave, it shows you the negotiated um, speed of each port. Right. Uh, and I suspect if he did have a smart switch and it had a bad port, it would say something like, you know, 100 or 10 or whatever instead of 1,000. Right. That's how I know that, you know, all my things are working is when I see all the negotiated speeds, the maximum. That's right. Yep. You yep. can also, also help you ferret out things that may not have a gigabit port. <laughs> right. right. That that, for sure. I, I got a,
0: yeah. Yeah. Like the, the Apple TV. Yeah. I mean, uh, the 4k one mm-hmm. has a gigabit port, right? But the all prior models of Apple mm-hmm. TV are all uh, hundred megabit ports in them. I mean, you don't need faster than that. So it like, it's fine, but, right, right. but it's it always felt curious to me like here's this you know device that's high end and instead of being green on my switch it's orange or whatever you know it's like eh, yeah okay yeah I I, you know smart switches I and I do have one of those TP link switches John here to test so I'll be able to give some sort of user experience uh, comparisons between the two once I open the box and and test it uh, which I plan to do uh, hopefully this week but um, it it is Smart switches have all these extra features, which is good, Um, but they also are just, I'm finding that they are better switches. Uh, The the weird problems that I was having before, even if I turn off things uh, like, you know, spanning tree protocol and loopback protection and just put them into just run normally. Don't be, don't be any smarter than you would be by default mode they are better mm-hmm. traffic moves better things are smoother so i think my decision years ago to buy and i forget what brand it was i want It's it wasn't d-link they, they, but they were i forget which brand it was Trendnet maybe i don't know no i don't know but anyway whatever i bought was you know 16 port gigabit Uh, green switches that were definitely not smart. I think they were as much the source of some of my problems as my network beyond them was the source of them. And I think a big part of it was, you know, switches need to switches have Ram in them. And this is just theory. And this is why it's probably best that I am not saying the brand name of these because I, I don't think it's the fault of, Uh, necessarily the switch maker. I think it's the fact that I should not have been using a dumb switch in the high traffic environment that I have switches are built with, with Ram in them and they have to keep track of all the Mac addresses on your network and what ports see those and how to route traffic. And you know, all of those things are happening inside your switch. It's not just plug cables in and go like, that's what we use it for. But the switch has to do quite a bit of work to make sure the traffic all goes where it's supposed to go and doesn't go where it's not supposed to go and all that stuff. And I think that me choosing to buy cheap switches was potentially the cause of a lot of my problems because things were just getting tied in knots to the point. The way I would solve problems on my network is I was just, I would power cycle the switches and then things would get so much better and in retrospect, and I think even at the time I sort of knew this, it was like, yeah, the switch, these switches just aren't up to the task of managing this many devices on, you know, this type of network where I've got things bridged all together. And it was just, I bought cheap switches and, you know, you get what you pay for. I think that's basically what happened. So I, I think the smart switches have all of these smart features and also let me do things like, you know, loopback protection and, and like you said, cable testing and see more of what's actually going on on my network. Although I'd still want to see more, like I, I want way more than, than the switch interface tells me, but I don't think I'll ever get that. Um, but I think just the hardware of the switch is, is simply better than the the cheap thing that I was using before. I know it sounds obvious as I'm saying Mm -hmm. it out loud, but, but it is worth sharing this, this, you know, retrospective insight. That I, that I now have gained, I guess, retrospective insight. We have a word for that. It's called wisdom. And usually it's, Mm -hmm. I made a mistake. Here's what I learned. (laughs) I love mistakes because I get to learn from them. Mistakes are my favorite thing. In fact, this year I wrote a book about mistakes with Shannon Jean. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes. Uh, We love mistakes is the name of the book and you can get it on Amazon. So there you go. Mostly it's about business, but you know, life in general, I find that uh, mistakes are a good thing. And, uh, you know, it's how we learn. So anyway, uh, Corky asks a question that I really felt like was more fit in as a tip because it teaches us what is normal. And so Corky's question is, um, where are we here? When I went into disk utility, things looked weird. Um, And I don't believe I've seen this before. And what looked weird is it shows the the drive. You know, Disk Utility has its hierarchical view, John. It shows the drive. It shows a, you know, so it shows, in his case, Macintosh hard drive because he hasn't changed it. Why Apple still uses Macintosh HD as the name of a drive that is not a hard drive. And Apple won't even call the new things in the Mac. Drives its internal storage. So why we call it Macintosh HD still Mm -hmm. in Big Sur on an M1 Mac out of the box is something that I think is interesting. But anyway, says Macintosh HD and then Macintosh HD data. But the new thing that Corky is seeing is that between Macintosh HD and Macintosh HD data, one level deeper is something that says com.apple.os.update- and then some serial number. And he was worried because he was having some problems with his computer. And he's like, I've never seen this before. Is it a problem? So I looked at my computer and I see my drive, which of course is called Half Nelson because that's um, a Miles Davis song. And I name all my drives after Miles Davis songs. And I see Half Nelson data. And then... One level deeper, I see com.apple.os.update, And I even saw this on my new Mac. So this is normal now with Big Sur. And I bet if you oh you don't you aren't running Big Sur yet. Uh, but if if you launch disk utility in Big Sur, I bet you will see this too. And this is the important part is that it is normal. I you know, we are all seeing it on our Macs that are running Big Sur, and it's okay. So we always say on this show, the best thing you can know going in while troubleshooting is what normal looks like so you can identify differences. We humans are really good at seeing differences in patterns. The question is, you know, when did the difference start and is it related to the problem? So this particular difference is normal. So thank you for for sharing that with us, Corky. Good stuff. Any uh, any thoughts on that, John?
1: No, no, it's good to know that's.
0: It's just good to know. <clears throat> expected <throat> yeah, behavior. Expected behavior. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You want to take us to Craig?
1: <sighs> yes. So Craig is uh, asking about my saga here. All these sagas we have. Lots of sagas. Uh, I just heard about John's issue with transferring his SIM to a new iPhone 12. I had the same issue, but so far I've ignored the text from Verizon. As I write the email, I am getting a 5G signal and everything seems to work fine. I'm curious to hear what Verizon tells you about the text. Well, um, so it sounds like Craig has a newer SIM. Um, the me- the message here is that if you have an older SIM, uh, more than a couple of years old, and you try to put it in a 5G phone, the carrier will probably let you know, which Verizon did in my case. Right. Um, now I looked, as far as just talking about 5G, it sounds like, with my current plan, I have some flavor of 5G, but they make a distinction. Uh, so my plan, they say I have five gigabytes of premium data, 5G nationwide and 4G LTE. Okay. Okay. Um, but the next plan up, Dave, uh, says 5G ultra wideband, unlimited 5G nationwide, unlimited 4G. The plan above mine is an unlimited plan or right. mostly unlimited.
0: Yeah. With what you're paying, um, I would assume you could probably move to an unlimited plan for potentially not any more money, right? Uh, I think it's like ten more oh, bucks more, or twenty okay. bucks more, or something. All right. Um,
1: but with the current SIM, even though the SIM says five G on it, I'm not getting the flavor of five G, five G, which they call, I guess, five uh, G nationwide. Oh,
0: maybe um, just because you don't have coverage for five G from Verizon where you live. That that sounds um, like the what the issue is because because if you can if you could get 5g ultra wideband you could also get 5g but my guess is wherever you are specifically like your house mm-hmm. and your perhaps your neighborhood just doesn't yeah. have 5g coverage from Verizon right right now I, I I did put
1: but but the icon works because I did put a sim from another carrier in and it, it lit up as 5g here's the interesting thing when I did a speed test between the two, Dave. Yeah, I was getting pretty much the same throughput.
0: Okay. Uh, yeah. Uh,
1: which I thought, you know, uh,
0: so maybe that. Uh, Who knows? Um, For, further from the five G tower, from whatever Mint or whatever you're using. Yeah, I think they're still rolling it
1: out. But the yeah. thing is, I'm I'm happy with the speeds that I'm getting now. Now, why? What I wasn't happy with, and I found this out eventually. So, a little tip here. Um. When I got the new sim, all of a sudden, all my data that I had left over disappeared. I had like six gigs of data. You mentioned that. I last Talked to week, one yeah. person and was like on hold. Well, I talked to another person and they gave me my data back. They basically gave me a, a boost. Did you? Did you tell well, the plan them? I'm on? You can get.
0: Did you tell him, I want my data back, data, back, data, back. Did that, is that how you got him to do
1: it? <laughs> no, Okay. No, I should have done that. Um, and the reps were, and, and the rep that I talked to was really nice. Um Telling me about our kids and, you know, keeps breaking phones. And I'm like, you know, well, you should try this case out, you know? Uh, Yeah. I guess one of the kids likes to throw the phone around, which. Bad news. Yeah. Well, you know, the lesson there should be, I'm not going to buy you a new one if you just. (laughs) Um, But anyways, so they gave me the data back and I'm like, cool. Then like a day later, Dave. Yeah. I got the same message saying you. And I'm like, what? It burned through all my data again. Uh, Now, this time, though, while I was on the phone ready to uh, get upset again, I went to... Or sing again, because remember, you you could still sing. Right, Mm -hmm. that's right. I went to settings, cellular, and uh, what you'll see on that screen, if you scroll a bit, cellular data. And it'll say current period, current period roaming, and then it'll show you... Uh, In order of most to last, how much data all the apps have used. Yeah. And the Weather Channel app had used five gigs of data.
0: What the heck was the Weather Channel doing? doing? What? I I have no idea. In a day? But I solved the problem.
1: Um, Yeah. Yes. It it was bizarre. I don't know if. So something didn't migrate over right. So the way I solved the problem, Dave, is I deleted the app and then reinstalled it. And now it's not. Consuming okay. all my data. Okay,
0: so I, I want to. So I. I that's I, a good uh, tip, actually. Yeah,
1: I mean, I gave them that tip because I'm like, you know what? This may happen in general that people may. Uh, so I, I, I let the tech support person know that if somebody runs out of data, yeah. this is where they should look to see which app did it. Because um, I thought it was an accounting error on their on their part, but no, they would It was just, yeah. I mean, how, I don't. Need, I can't even imagine. <laughs> Yeah. I don't know if it got stuck in like diagnostic mode or or, or what, but huh. so yeah,
0: sometimes you just got to delete and reinstall. Sometimes you do just have to delete and reinstall. Yeah. 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 That's weird, man. Yeah. That's a lot of data for an app to just slurp down. Okay. So I'm curious, mm-hmm. did you now, actually I have two things I'm curious about when you did your speed test on, you know, your 4g on Verizon versus your 5g on mint. Did you, Mm-hmm. It was this before or after you fixed your weather app thing because it may have been slurping things down in the background regardless. Um
1: hmm. good question. I'll try I'll try it again.
0: Try it again. But the other thing, when you try it again, the thing to look at and the thing I noticed. Because you're right in most places when i you know when I'm on five g versus four g now and it it just moves back or or l t e between you know l t e and five g when it mm-hmm. bounces back and forth in most places, i don't see a huge speed delta. There are places where i'll get you know like two hundred megabits per second down on on five g and it's like okay yeah, 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 this is faster um mm-hmm. but what I always see, even if the speeds are the same is the latency on 5G is way lower. And that in and of itself is arguably more, at, at some level, you know, speed is enough, right? But when you can lower latency and consistently lower latency, then you, you're you in a different world, right? Because things can rea- react quicker and you can do things that you simply can't do when you have to anticipate latency being High. You know, it's not rare that I'll do a speed test on on LTE and see latency of the, you know, 80, 90, 100 mm-hmm. millisecond range, which isn't terrible. It's fine. It's usable. We've all used it. But with 5G, my latencies have all been below like 20 or 30 milliseconds, which is a, a remarkable difference and will allow things like mm-hmm. like if you were trying to do real time gaming or something, that Delta is huge. So, so check the, you just pay attention to the latency when you're doing those tests again. So I'd be, I'd be curious. So, yeah. Yeah. The, the other place that's
1: interesting to look is that if you go to settings, cellular, cellular data options, um, there's a voice and data setting and it can be 5G on 5G auto, which is like a power safe thing or LTE. So mm-hmm. you can manually make that choice. It's like one or the other, or do, do what you think is best. And then I see something data mode, allow more data on 5g standard or low data mode. So that's another setting that, uh, yeah, you may want to play with to save your battery or save uh, data consumption.
0: Yeah, that's true. Yeah. I have mine on 5g auto, so it's only using 5g when it feels the need, um, and I do allow mm-hmm. more data on 5G because, you know, I run unlimited. So it's like, just suck it on down. Let's go. Let's go. Ah,
1: yes. Yeah, the other thing is that I had to uh, reenter my, uh, my ISP offers uh free Wi-Fi. If, if you pay them, it's part of the package or. Right, right, right. Um, And I had to, to reenter those um, credentials. um they may have gotten cleared out at some point. So if I'm near Wi-Fi, it'll, it'll hop out of that. But I think everybody's set up like that.
0: Sure. Sure. So there is an article that we put up this week and I don't seem to be able to bring it up on our screen in the call here. I'm going to make it happen because that's just how I am right now. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, there we go. So, Andrew wrote a piece at at TMO about your 5G needing a new SIM and all of that stuff. And Verizon, most carriers are, if you, you know, if you have a SIM that is capable of 5G, you're just good to go and don't worry about it. Um, You know, that's true of of T-Mobile and AT&T and Mint and all of those. But Verizon is weird. Verizon's always been weird with SIM cards, to be fair, right? Because they didn't, well, they didn't used to have them when they were CDMA phones, you, the, it was the phone's ID that tied you to right. Verizon's network, not the SIM. So you couldn't just move a SIM around because, in fact, there were iPhones for a time that there you didn't have a SIM. You know, it was just mm-hmm. th- there wasn't even a SIM tray for a Verizon iPhone. Right. Uh, that obviously has changed now with, you know, with LTE and all that. SIMs are part of the game. But Verizon SIMs are weird. And Verizon's FAQ page says, and I'm reading from Andrew's article here, which I've linked in the show notes. If your SIM card is activated as 5G and then inserted into a 4G LTE device, it can't connect to its 5G ultra wideband network ever. If a card is activated as 4G LTE and is inserted into a 5G device, it can access the 5G ultra wideband network but may not connect to future enhanced 5g network. So essentially what we've learned here about Verizon is get the right SIM for your phone and don't mess around with it from there, which to be fair, if you're not a geek or you're not moving things around, you mm-hmm. probably wouldn't ever anyway. So you're probably all right, but it does mean that if you're going like you from an iPhone eight, where you had a SIM, it doesn't matter whether it was 5g or not, and plugged it in to a 4G LTE device, which your iPhone 8 was, then that SIM is rendered as certainly never being able to work on the ultra wideband stuff from Verizon. So it's possible. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, who knows? Right. But best bet, get a SIM. If you're a Verizon customer, get a SIM for your phone and only put it in that phone. And then you should get all the right capabilities in theory. So there you go. That's mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Yeah craziness man craziness 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 all right well we've used up all our time we can't go to cool stuff found today because mm-hmm. um because we're at the end but that's good we'll start next week with cool stuff found and uh, you know we'll rock it from there so uh yeah so i hope uh well thanks for listening if you have questions or a tip or a cool stuff found to send us Feedback at Please, please, please. We'd love to hear from you. It is you that make the content for this show happen. Then John and I pour through it. Actually, this week was crazy. You folks sent in so much stuff. It was awesome. <laughs> Thankfully, John and I both yeah. dove in. Feedback. You said feedback at com. I did. Oh, that's right. I said feedback at com. That's where we want that stuff. Mm-hmm. Please, please. We love it. We, it's like food. It really is, because it's like it's mm-hmm. the it's the sustenance that makes it so that we can do more shows for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's great. Tell a friend about the show. Uh, yeah, good. All right. Uh, any big plans for Thanksgiving this year, John? Or are you laying low? Um, I think we're just going to do... <clears throat> immediate family the bu- the bubble that you've already kind of been in yeah 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 that's we, we were we had some talks about doing things with Lisa's uh, family here in New Hampshire and everybody was going to get tested and all that stuff and then somebody didn't want to get tested and the things sort of fell apart so we are happy to just we're, we're getting our son home hopefully uh, this weekend well after, when the show comes out it will be hopefully he will already have been home and uh, we have a whole testing protocol that we're going through as we are integrating his bubble into our bubble as one, uh, because he's going to be here for at least a couple of months, and then uh, mm-hmm. and then yeah, you know, and there's, it'll just be the four of us for Thanksgiving. So, which is fine. We're we're looking forward to it. We haven't had the four of us together in months, so it's good. Ah, <sighs> crazy times, crazy times. Um, yeah. Thanks to, uh, thanks to everybody who contributed on the premium front this week. You all rock. Uh, I I guess we can go through this. We have a little bit of time. I like to make sure we acknowledge everybody. So yeah, here we are. There we are. I'm finding it. Ah, yeah, 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 yeah. I should have had this up in front of me. Uh, share the show with someone tell someone about the show we, that that really makes a huge difference we are looking to find the rest of the Mackie Geb family that's out there we know they're there and we know they're not all here yet so the good news is we have plenty of room and uh it's socially distanced by design so there you go but on the premium front those of you that contributed in the last week thank you very much and uh Thank you to Harvey from Shoreham, Daniel from Levittown, Brian from Danbury, Koji from Princeton Junction, Santiago from Palm City, John from Wake Forest, Ian from Cardiff, John from Fredericton, Mark from Knoxville, Chris from Chorleywood, Ken from Kailua, Timothy from Coralville, Michael from Robbins, Jim from Harvard... Matthew from Forked River, David from Mount Prospect, and Dave from Sogarties. You all rock. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That's all at macgeekhub.com slash premium if you want to learn more about it. And you can join our chat room uh, at live.macgeekhub.com. Every time we record, it's usually Sunday mornings, but occasionally that changes. You can subscribe at macgeekhub.com slash calendar. That is the calendar that John and I use. So anytime we have an event on there, you know it is accurate. Because it's what we use to know we need to be here, too. So, we'd love to see you. Chat room is full today. Great stuff. Very good. Very, very good. Fun. All right. That's what I got. You got anything else, John? Nope. Okay. Cool. Well, then uh, then we are happy to have uh, been able to do this show for you. We are happy to have had our sponsors go check them out. Make sure to visit Amazon.com slash MGG, Headspace.com slash MGG, PlushCare.com slash MGG. They're all very cool companies. They have, with cool products. I, like, I loved going through and doing all that stuff. With you. Go check them out. John... Any lasting thoughts before we, uh, before we head into our weird holiday week this week?
1: <clears throat> Don't get caught.
0: Stay safe, everybody. See you next time.